0: I mean, you'd expect a movie guaranteed to make a billion dollars, that's billion with a B, because the last movie made at at least a billion, um... (sighs) At least a billion. Fucking c**ts, I fucking hate my goddamn neighbors at least a billion
1: i'll tell you what i know i know that in fact too many kids that begin with pot end up with heroin then on to lsd i know that if you drink you suffer a loss of judgment if you drink to excess but i also know that judgment returns when you sober up i know and so do you when you flip out on an acid trip you never know when you're gonna slip out again This is now, Bentley, not a couple of years ago. We've had time now to see and study the effects of LSD. People who haven't had a dose in weeks sail out on another trip. They never know when. The minute they drop one acid capsule or ingest it in any way, they bought the farm. They've lost any chance to depend on and even restore that most precious of all inner senses, judgment. And in my way of thinking, without judgment, you might as well be dead. Your brain is, so why not the rest of you? We were talking about marijuana. We still are. Marijuana is the flame. Heroin is the fuse. LSD is the bomb. So don't you try to equate liquor with marijuana, Mr. Not With Me. You may sell that jazz to another pothead, but not to somebody who spends most of their time holding some sick kid's head while he vomits and wretches sitting on a curbstone at 4 o'clock in the morning. And when his knees get enough starch back in him so he can stand up and empty his pockets, you can bet he'll turn out a stick or two of marijuana. And you can double your money. He'll be holding a sugar cube or a cap or two. So don't you con me with your mind expansion, slob? I deal with kids every day. I try to clean up the mess that people like you make out of them. I'm the expert here. Hey, I know you don't smoke weed. I know this but I'm gonna get you high today. Cause it's Friday, you ain't got no job, and you ain't got shit to do.
2: And welcome one and all to episode 228 of the SLS cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the cool maman episode of the SLS cast because it turns out that, um, there are, uh, there is literally a website dedicated to all of the awesome things about Japan, 365 of them to be exact. And the Kumamon, which is a Yuru Kiara sensation, by the way, which is basically a mascot, just invented to be a mascot. Um, And Kumamon is number 228 on this wonderful little list. Yes. So if you ever see a little black bear... And next to some Japanese writing that's got two little red cheeks, that is the Kumamon. And he's, like, internationally recognized. And with that wonderful little bit of awesome things about Japan that are cool, I, of course, am Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim. So there are only
0: 365 awesome things about Japan, huh? Apparently, yes. Why limit themselves? You think they'd be like, we we have an Uh, infinite, we we have an infinite, 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 oh my god, infinite, infinite, (laughs) infinite, infinite is one of those words, apparently. How's it going, Matthew? How was your (laughs) Easter? It was Easter this past weekend this time, right?
2: Yes, yes, by Jiminy, it actually was Easter this time. Yeah, we uh uh the the kids went out to the old sand hill like we talked about, they had fun, they got to pet donkeys and get chased by cows and um play with dogs and all sorts of fun stuff.
0: Cows actually chase them?
2: uh yeah cows really? th- and and not like in a spiteful kind of way they they just happened to be kind of curious cows so whenever the kids were cutting back and forth through the pasture the cows would just kind of meander after them going hey this is different let's see what's <laughs> happening and so they would do That's all cool. that and yeah. um yeah so at any rate uh yeah so that was the easter action there we of course have a dog now Uh, and so, um, his name is Luther, and, um, yeah, he might be making an appearance here shortly. Uh, I think, I think we just heard him. I was gonna say, yeah, he's in his kennel, he's supposed to be asleep right now, but, um, apparently, that's not going very well. So, how did the
0: girls react when they came across Luther?
2: Well, we went out on Friday, uh, to go pick him up, and we had been, we were very, very, uh, sneaky The the girls had actually gone out and they got to pick all the toys, the food bowls, um, all, all the cool stuff, the leash, the harness, they were all there to pick all that stuff out. But we told them it was for, um, it was for a community project so they could practice for the Girl Scouts and stuff. And we were going to donate all this stuff as a puppy package to a, to an animal shelter. And so um when we went out on friday we're like hey well you remember all that stuff we got on uh the other night like well we're gonna go ahead and take care of the puppy stuff today so we get out there and we let them play around and they picked um they were playing with the puppies and so we found out which ones were the boy puppies and so uh libby actually ended up picking luther at first and um i was like okay well girls you know how i said we were going to take care of the puppy thing today and they're like, Yeah, yeah, that's why we're out here. Yeah, and I was like, okay, well the way we're gonna take care of the puppy thing is we're just gonna go ahead and take a puppy home. And their faces were like in shock. They like we had fooled them so completely that they truly did not understand that they were getting a puppy. And so they were like, Oh, okay, so do we when when are we gonna bring the puppy back? <laughs> like we're not bringing the puppy back the puppy is your puppy and it like took it literally took them like 10 minutes because jen was all excited and trying to videotape them and everything you know and uh i said videotape <laughs> with with our little samsung notes um so she's yeah she's trying to get video and they're just not like they're not jumping up and down and screaming and like we thought you know we thought they were gonna lose their shit you know they're finally gonna do- a, a dog and um yeah so, so once they finally got it through their head that they, that they were actually getting the dog and they would get to keep the dog, uh, they were then jumping up and down. They, but it took like 15 minutes for them to fully understand the concept that they were getting the dog. Really? Um, yeah. So they, and they've, they've, they're having a blast with him. They, um, he's, um, been very smart so far. He just turned seven weeks old, uh, yesterday. Um, And uh, very, very, very few accidents like literally three. Um, you know, we've been very religious about making sure to take him out often and everything like that. But he's actually, I mean, he was outside all the time, and so he's already used to peeing outside. And his kennel was an outdoor kennel, so all of the dogs would run out of the kennel first thing in the morning to go pee and stuff. So, um, so he's actually been, we we were really and truly surprised at a puppy this young. Three very small pee-only accidents. And we bought the enzymatic stuff too, so we can like make sure to clean it immediately. Um, but uh, yeah, so he's been great. He already knows where his food is. He knows where his bed is. He loves to play. Um, yeah, and he's, of course, super cute.
0: But was there ever like that moment where you and your wife were like, man, what if these girls don't like this dog? Like, what if they want a different one,
2: you know? Um, well, I wasn't too worried about it because, you know, I mean, they they will love the dog if they want to love the dog. But as far as I'm concerned, it's my dog. So to hell with them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that sounds a lot better than what my sister did with her first dog. Uh, That she picked out. She picked out this part Golden Retriever, part Australian Shepherd, I think it was. And she named it Brownie. Not like B R O W N I E, like the food, the sweet Brownie. But she named him B R O W N Y E, like the color brown, because he was kind of brown. And of course, if anybody out there, probably not, if, I mean, if whoever out there is listening to the show and you know, my sister, you'd be so surprised that she has three kids now and doing quite well because with that dog, she took care of that dog for maybe two weeks and it all landed on me. This was the dog that shat all over my futon every single Sunday afternoon when he would escape through the utility room door and he would just automatically went up to my futon up my bedroom and and shit all over it and i had to be the one that to uh, to take care of the dog it was one of those dogs where you take him out on walks and he was such a dumbass loved him to death but he was such a dumbass where whenever he would have to take a shit it would be in the middle of the road but not in the middle of the of the street in your neighborhood but it would be in the middle of a freaking intersection the busiest intersection in the neighborhood
2: and i feel bad because i do know your sister um acquaintance wise i'm actually uh more buddy buddy with her husband but um we we uh, you know because because pjs be all incestual like that and we all work together so (laughs) that's how we all know each other But, um, I do have to ask, um, are any of the children's nicknames like whitish or whitey or anything? (laughs) (laughs) After, you know, after the dog. Okay.
0: Yeah. They're all pretty white, I guess. Maybe hairlines. Maybe, maybe, what's a good, like, hairline (laughs) nickname? Jesus Christ, dude. (laughs) He doesn't listen to the show, does he? I'm not talking. Okay. I see what you're talking about, because... <laughs>
2: Damn, dude, that's cool. My brother-in-law
0: <laughs> is balding a, a little bit, or the process has started some time ago.
2: Thought it but but the kids
0: I'm talking about, the, the, like, some of the kids, like, one of the kids, the hairline's a little bit different, two of them are girls, and uh, she kept the third, the, the latest child, a secret until after the pregnancy. Like, my sister and my brother-in-law, they, they did not want to know what the sex was, so... Up until even after she had the kid, she was kind of fucking around with everybody on social media. Guess who? Little Logan. They even
2: named her Logan because it was
0: oh yeah, the boy or girl right. can have because
2: it. Because I, 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 I. Had, that's right. I remember when she put, uh, when she put up there because, um, I was like, oh, well, it's Logan. It's got to be from Wolverine. So it's got to be a boy. And then she was like, no, Matt, you're wrong. And I'm like. Well, shit. <laughs> yeah, but
0: all of us, the significant other and I thought it was a boy because of the hairline, especially, and the shape of the head and the nose. I don't know. I call her either Pinto Bean because she was such a tiny little baby compared to the <laughs> other ones, or I called her Old Man because uh... she looked like Benjamin Button when he came out of the womb.
2: Oh, come on. I Now... Unless you saw different pictures than I saw, I I would have to disagree with that. There was a lot of Photoshop in the Facebook I, pictures. Okay, very good. All right, hey, glamour good. shots does wonders in <laughs> Glam- 2017. Glamour shots came back for hospital photos.
0: <laughs> you know I mean, that that could be a market. You know, maybe that's uh, why glamour shots didn't make it into the 2000s was because they didn't crack the hospital maternity market. You know. Glamour shot
2: the womb, the ultrasound. uh, That's right. They put a disco ball up in there and, you know. Let it spin. Okay. Anyway, I don't know. Anyway, so I guess um, then let's jump right into uh, the business of the show here. And if uh, you would like to send us an email, you can of course do that by sending us an email to theshow at slscast And it turns out that Miss Diana has sent a has sent us yet another email, and thank you very much for that. The subject line is Kubo and the two strings she says happy easter guys i have to thank you especially tim for recommending this movie so highly that i remembered it when looking for a family movie to watch after easter dinner on netflix it's hard to find a movie the whole family can enjoy and this was as perfect uh, this was as a perfect one to remind us of how much the family that's gone still means to us and lives on in us a beautiful one too who knew mere paper could be so powerful? Hope your holiday was as sweet, Diana. So there you go, Tim. You have brought yet another convert into the fold. Your proselytizing has paid off. <laughs> In paper. <apparently>. In paper. <laughs>
0: yeah. I can make an impact. I have a <laughs> voice. You do.
2: Damn it. <laughs> well, thank you, Diana. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Absolutely. And without further ado, I believe it is now time for the real news. What do you say, sir? News it up. Here we go, folks. It's the news. First up from me, from Variety.com, by way of Ma'ane Ketchatorian. Carrie Fisher won't appear in Star Wars episode 9. Yes, leading right off, Carrie Fisher won't appear in Star Wars episode 9 after all. Lucasfilm president Kathleen Kennedy made the reveal during an interview with ABC News at the Star Wars celebration in Orlando. Uh, Quote, Sadly, Carrie will not be in 9, but we will see a lot of her in 8, which is great, end quotes there. And that again is uh, Kathleen Kennedy. Uh, Actor Todd Fisher, the late actress's brother and Debbie Reynolds' son, had said that his sister had a role in the ninth installment. Uh Kennedy says, quote, uh Todd Fisher was probably confused because we finished everything in eight, and Carrie is absolutely phenomenal in the movie. We're so happy that we were able to complete shooting in the summer. Unfortunately, Carrie passed away. and quote there. So basically, it looks like there was just a simple misunderstanding there, and he thought that the footage that they were using was going to go through the whole trilogy and that is apparently not what was happening so once again we're back and this is of course according to lucasfilm um no carrie fisher will not be in episode nine so um yeah it's a kind of a bummer there but i guess we can put our worries at ease i know tim and i were a little worried there um questions on that there tim before you
0: jump in Now, what are they gonna do? Are they gonna write her out somehow, not mention her,
2: have her go to a different planet and stay there, or? I'm telling you, I'm telling you, they're gonna work, they're gonna find a way for her to be on something that blows up. I hope not. That's the only way they can do it. I mean, that's the only thing that makes sense. This way, you don't have to pay lip service, you don't have to try and gum it up, you don't have to, you know, make stupid inferences like they do in fucking Fate of the Furious. Brian would know what to do. No, man. We already agree on that. I mean I'm gonna <laughs> need my son, Brian.
0: <laughs> Who didn't see that fucking coming? What I mean, a fucking so, okay, asshole. Okay,
2: so so that's what I'm saying. So that's what I'm saying. So we avoid all of this by just having her be somewhere that explodes. They don't even have to put her in it. They could literally just be like, you know, Oh, yeah, General, uh, General Leia's coming, you know, or General Organa's coming, uh, or what, well, I guess she would technically be General Solo now since she's, you know, all married up or whatever. But at any rate, no, seriously. So, you know, oh yeah, Leia's coming, here she comes, and then BOOM, it all blows, goes to hell in a handbasket, right? So, um, and I think that would actually be really fitting because in a way you're now just as, just as she was ripped from our lives in reality, she will be ripped from their lives in the continuum. So, Makes sense to me. Yeah, I,
0: I don't know. Like with, I know they're going to be doing all these like in canon tie-ins. Uh, I was reading something today, and I forget if it was pertaining to the Battlefront game, or if it's like going to be a series of cartoons or shorts or or, or comic books, or I don't, I can't remember. It was something like that, but it was all going to be in canon. So whatever happens in either the video games, comic or cartoons or, you know, whatever the hell I was reading, it's going to carry over to the rest of the movies and affect the rest of the movies and characters in some way. And I kind of wonder, like, if she does go to a different planet, they can still carry on with her story in these other mediums, especially since whatever, you know, I, I mean, again, it would be di- totally different if it was a video game opposed to a comic book or a sure. series of novels or whatever. But let's say if it was a comic or series of novels and they're actually really good, that would be a kind of neat way to keep the character going, doing her own stuff, well, but just it's not in the movies
2: it's interesting that you mention novels um i am actually probably at least three-fourths of the way through maybe even more than that um of the aftermath trilogy which is the actual trilogy of novels that takes place between episodes uh six and seven and um and it kind of Puts it, it basically, the whole series plants the seeds of everything that you end up seeing in seven. So it, it, you actually kind of, it, it explains where Finn comes from and stuff like that, which is really kind of cool. And she is actually winding down in those things so that they can gear the story up because the Aftermath trilogy in and of itself, for example, takes place like within six months to two years after. Uh, the second battle of Yavin, or, get uh, yeah, battle or Endor, not Yavin, but, uh, takes place about between six months and two years after Endor. So they have to have something that's going to explain the next 28 years. And that's what they're setting up. So, I mean, there's not really a whole lot to have happen, especially tangentially, other than just the movies that would necessarily have to involve Leia. So, especially since Han's dead. So
0: interesting. What do you go? Yeah, what do you got for us, sir? (laughs) What do you go? That's your new catchphrase. What do you go? First up for me, YahooMovies.com. German cinematographer Michael Bauhaus dies at 81. This is through the Associated Press. And this news came out on April 12th. It says this, the Berlin Associated Press, the publisher of German cinematographer Michael Bauhaus, who worked with Martin Scorsese on Gangs of New York, Goodfellas, and The Departed, says Bauhaus has died. He was 81. Publishing house DVA, which cited Bauhaus's family, said in a statement Wednesday that he died overnight at his Berlin apartment after a short illness. Bauhaus spent four decades behind the camera. Besides Scorsese, he worked with the late Rainer Werner, Fassbender, and other German directors including Volker Schlonderdorf. His other credits include The Fabulous Baker Boys, Broadcast News, Working Girl, and Quiz Show. Publisher Thomas Rathnau described Bahas on Wednesday as, quote, More than a cameraman, end quote. Roth says, quote, he was an artist who created unforgettable pictures in numerous films and in cooperation with the best directors of our time. And all quotes there. So, yeah, I, this is pretty sad, especially when I went back and refreshed my memory as to what all he has uh, made. In addition to his Scorsese flicks, like The Departed Goodfellas and Gangs of New York, he did work on Bram Stoker's Dracula The Francis Ford Coppola movie that came out in 1992, the really cool take on it, as if it were made in the early 1900s at the turn of the century, so the style of it, the look of it, the effects especially, were all styles and effects used at the turn of the century he had his work cut out for him in that movie. And I'm actually kind of surprised he was not nominated for an Academy Award because it's absolutely beautiful of a film to look at. But the three movies that he was nominated for but did not win were Gangs of New York, The Fabulous Baker Boys, and Broadcast News. So that's uh, the 1988 Oscars, 1990 Oscars, and the 2003 Oscars. So R.I.P., German cinematographer Michael Ballhaus. You know, since I only really have a couple more left, I'll just, uh, I'm gonna throw it back to you,
2: Matt. Well, alrighty then. Okay. Well, given the interest of time and everything, I think this is. Oh, sorry. As I'm knocking my microphone around here, um, this will probably be my last uh, bit of news. Uh, let's see here. From Screenrant.com by way of Adrian Tyler. Valerian is the most expensive film in French history. Yes, French director Luc Besson earned a place in science fiction history with his futuristic vision in The Fifth Element in 1997, and recently revisited the genre with Lucy in 2014. Now, Besson is coming back to the genre with the adaptation of the French comic series Valerian and Loreline, written by Pierre Christine and illustrated by Jean-Claude Meziere uh the comic follows spatio-temporal agents valerian and loreline as they travel through the universe they travel the universe through time and space titled valerian in the city of a thousand planets the movie is visually stunning and features over 200 different alien species so it's no surprise that valerian has become france's most expensive film to date uh let's see here um yeah and uh, let's just say here, I'm going to jump down to the very last paragraph here, it says here that this film marks Besson's big return to the space opera, and with the universe as rich as Valerian's, it shouldn't come as a surprise that the budget was so high. It's worth noting that, although an English-language film, Valerian is a 100% French production, which, judging by the trailer's release so far, will take the audience through an incredible visual ride with multiple alien species and various planets to explore. Um... So, now that you know that this is 100% French uh despite it being in English and it's Luc Besson. It's considered kind of like the spiritual successor to the Fifth Element. Um and this is definitely um a um euro, okay? 197.47 million euros. That's a lot of money. Um, what do you think, Tim? Are you are you even more stoked to see this movie than you were before? Um, me, I got to be honest, this movie does not look good. Um, really? You don't at- think it looks fun or... No. Kind of in the same vein as Fifth Element? No. <laughs> but... In all honesty, in all honesty, I didn't like the trailer for Fifth Element either. And had I not worked in the movie theater, um, I don't know that I would have seen Fifth Element in the movie theater. So I, I was exposed to it because of that and was like, holy crap, this movie is actually really good. And then of course went back and I think it's in the Blu-ray collection at this point and everything. So, um, I, I can't say that. Um, I'm afraid to be wrong. I'm I'm not afraid to be wrong. I just... It just really... I don't know. It doesn't... It's just not doing anything for me. But what do you think, Tim?
0: Really? Well, it might say something when I, you know, I, I admit that I'm looking forward to a Luc Besson movie because uh, his last handful of movies I have not really enjoyed. In fact, there's only a handful of Luc Besson-directed movies that I do enjoy... I think The Fifth Element is a good movie, uh, especially for its time. I didn't think it's nece- necessarily a great film. Leon the Professional is a good classic. But I think the one movie I watched the most, for some weird reason, was The Messenger, the story of Joan of Arc. And the reason why I watched that movie so much out of all of his other movies, because every year in high school, we had that one P.E. coach who was a history professor each one of those history professors regardless of what kind of history they were teaching or uh, even like geography they would show this movie Uh, i guess that kind of showed you where their head was maybe into the soccer game that they were looking forward to that weekend i don't know but i clearly remember being in early u.s history and geography and latter u.s history and world history and watching joan of arc um, the only class that movie would have really fit into was world history not necessarily geography and early and latter american history so you know and those were really the only three that actually ever stood out but what really got me with valerian is the look of it i guess the spirit of it it has potential of of being fun and entertaining and exciting and the only trailer i have seen is the trailer that came out months and months and months and months ago Um, i believe a newer trailer was released somewhat recently which i have yet seen so i don't know if that's different from the first trailer or not but what, what do you not like about it what's really catching you not catching you off guard but really getting at you
2: Mainly the, the, okay, so the, the characterizations of the pair are way too cliched. They like, you know, he's all into her and she's not into him kind of thing, right? The unrequited love crap. They gotta work together. Also, it just seems to be trying to throw too many plot elements at you, even in the trailer. And again, I, I will give it credit for it doesn't at least seem to me to be giving away the whole movie so that's good um but at the same time um what little i can follow of it just seems really basic and it's kind of like oh look but we're gonna go here and we're gonna go here and we're gonna go here and we're gonna go here it's like well you know you can bounce all over the place all you want um all it looks like to me is that you're just bouncing around in a blue screen Oh, I mean, you know, um, and it, you know, I'm just not necessarily impressed by it. So hopefully, because um, I know we'll, we'll end up, we're obviously going to see it for the show. So, I mean, I have no uh, doubt about that. So I'm hoping that by the time it comes out, and we'll sit down and watch it, um, the story puts itself together and um, we see something come up come out of it more than just this the 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 cliched feel that I think it's going to have.
0: Well, it is coming out during peak summer movie season, July 21st. Luke Besson though is still pretty successful with his movies like Lucy. I don't for No, example. I
2: I I like I like Luke Besson. I don't have anything against him as a director or anything. Um I I just this movie doesn't it's just not grabbing me. It just looks like it's um, it's all flash, no substance, and what little substance they're providing me seems cliched and um, not worth following. So, and, and that's all, I'm, you know. And again, I, I'm I'm not afraid to be wrong. So we will find out on my daughter's birthday. Well, he hasn't had a hit
0: directed American movie since The Fifth Element in 1997. 20 years later, I think he's really banking on another hit movie that he directed because all the ones that he's produced and wrote do pretty well. Like Lucy again, you know, and Taken movies and maybe it's just those because freaking Taken was dominating the action box office for quite some time. But that's very interesting. I I mean, I'm kind of looking forward to it. I'll just be sure to stay away from the latest trailer. Okay, next up for me, my last two pieces of news here. First up, from Collider.com, a Man from Uncle sequel is being written. The article is by Adam Chipwood, but the quote I'm pulling from is a Collider interview with actor Army Hammer. In the interview was done by somebody from the Collider staff named Steve Weintreb. I I think that's his name. I'm trying to look for his name on here, but I'm not seeing it right off right off hand so the man from uncle came out a couple years ago and i was surprised by the movie i thoroughly enjoyed it i believe we both did it was sleek it was stylish it was fun again not a perfect movie but it was funny it was classy it was there was good camaraderie between army hammer alicia vikander and henry cavill that was just infectious on top of it the ladies in the movie were sexy also, like spy cool sixties, fifties sexy, and it, it was just a fun movie. So during this interview where he is interviewing Army Hammer for his upcoming film Free Fire, he asked about the possibility of a man from Uncle 2. And this is what Army Hammer responded with: Quote, I actually recently talked to Lionel Wigram, the producer and co-writer with Guy about a man from Uncle sequel, and I was like, dude if you don't start writing this script, I'm going to show up at your house and cut all of the tires of all of your cars. I swear to God. And he was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to do it. I'll probably start writing it. And I was like, yes, good. Start writing it. So if you haven't yet, Lionel, checkmate. Start writing it. End all quotes there. Uh, Obviously, if you Didn't catch it, what I just said. Warner Brothers has yet to really commit to a sequel of The Man From U.N.C.L.E., the first movie on a budget of $75 million, grossed worldwide $109.8 million, so it wasn't like the biggest box office money grab of a movie. But I personally think it warrants a sequel. I want to see more of these folks, especially because it wasn't until the end of The Man From U.N.C.L.E. when they actually become the man from Uncle or or the team of Uncle, you know. Um Matt, what do you what do you think? What do you want to see a sequel to Man from Uncle?
2: Before it's too late, I guess. <laughs> Hang on, I'm 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 double checking here. Okay. Um all right. I was trying to remember because I knew that I, I, I remembered that I did not like it as much as you did. Um you gave it a Okay, yes. You gave it a 3.75 and I gave it a 3.5. Yeah, okay. I, I, I'm down. I guess I would watch one. I, I just remember not being overly blown away, but it was a, it, it was a solid movie. I can't say that it wasn't a solid movie. I guess I was just really expecting, um, a lot more. I think my expectations were just simply too high. And, um, that's what kind of affected my judgment. So, yeah, I would be down for a sequel. And I would even go back and watch Man From U.N.C.L.E. again so that I would be fresh going into the sequel. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Matt is down to sequel. He is
0: DTS. And lastly here via io9.com, an R-rated Watchmen movie could be coming soon according to a leaked Warner Brothers survey. This here is written by Evan Narcissi. N-A-R-C-I-S-S-E. This was published this past Thursday, and it says this, A live-action adaptation of Watchmen hit screens in 2009. Eight years later, it seems very likely that an animated version of the classic superhero story is on its way. A report on CBR contains an image from a survey hosted on Warner Brothers' A-List, a community site run by the movie studio, it makes reference to an upcoming Watchmen movie, and on this screen grab here from the Warner Brothers A-List community uh, it says the following Below is a brief description of an upcoming made-for-video movie Watchmen A faithful adaptation of the Watchmen graphic novel executed in an animated style that mirrors the source material Anticipated MPAA rating is R And uh, it Basically goes and talks about what The Watchmen is about. I'm sure we all somewhat familiar with it. And then it asks, Based on the description you just read, how interested are you in purchasing the made-for-video movie on DVD, Blu-ray disc, or as a digital copy? And you can pick here, definitely will buy, probably will buy, might or might not buy, probably will not buy, or definitely will not buy. But that really, I guess, doesn't matter with uh, with the news I am reporting on. But the article does continue with... Originally released in 1986, Watchmen was written and drawn by legendary creators Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons, with colors by John Higgins. With literary sensibility and psychological complexity, it went on to become regarded as a classic in the superhero genre. The beloved work has also become a perennial cash cow for DC Comics and parent company Warner Brothers, never going out of print and spawning multiple editions video games, motion comics, and controversial Before Watchmen prequels. The Watchmen movie directed by Zack Snyder left a lot of people cold, so this animated iteration might receive a warmer reception in some circles. It'll be interesting to see if this project sticks solely to the original work produced by and Gibbons, or if it incorporates elements from any of the Before Watchmen series. Uh, Again, that was an io9.com post via a CBR Article: An R-rated Watchmen movie could be coming soon, according to a leaked Warner Brothers survey written by Evan Narcisse. Um, I think this is pretty cool. Uh, We do have the director's cut edition and the ultimate edition of Zack Snyder's Watchmen movie from 2009, and we also do have the animated motion comics that you can buy on Blu-ray. I was never really into Watchmen, didn't read any of the comics before the movie. I'm a big fan of Zack Snyder's Watchmen movie after recently uh, rewatching the director's cut version, the extended cut version, not necessarily with the motion comics. Uh, Or or like all the Black Freighter stuff added into it. But the director's cut of it, I think, does a really good job at getting down to the literary mythology of what the series is trying to say. And I do understand a lot of people were upset because a lot was left out of the live action film. And uh, people really wanted to see all these other uh, specific details that are in the comic books that apparently would have made the movies so much more better or the characters so much better. I, I, I don't know. But uh, Matt, were you a Watchmen comics fan, or would you like to see Warner Brothers taking another stab at doing an R-rated Watchmen movie, but this time in animated form?
2: No, I, I, I am not uh, familiar with the um, with the comics. I was not. That was one of the few ones that I uh, really remember being into. People explain stuff to me, though, and everything. So
0: people explain stuff to me.
2: <laughs> just saying people would explain the, the comic part to um, you know the stuff that related to the, that pertain to the comics or whatever but yeah. Um, anyway
0: yeah so that's what's up well anybody out there in social media land let us know what you think do you want to see Valerian do you want to see an R-rated direct-to-video Water Brothers produced Watchmen animation movie or do you have any comics comics hey if you have any comics let us know why not <laughs> All hate mail goes to we're not here to please you
2: dot midnight movie nights <laughs> at Johnny White Trash dot com dot com.
0: Yeah. And that's my news in the news, apparently.
2: That's true. That's true. All right, folks. We're jumping out of the news and we're going to go straight into 30 30 Square. time we were going, uh, officially officially part one of saddest movie moments now we we uh purposely excluded disney and pixar from this list because that's just too easy um but it turns out there's just a real there's just a fuck ton of amazing movie scenes uh in comedies and dramas and in, in dramedies and action films and stuff like that um that you are just totally unprepared for or blown away by and then you are moved and they are sad and there's just a lot more than three and honestly neither tim nor myself could really and truly just say these three were good like he's like i've got like 15 i'm like i know i'm just because i'm telling him the thoughts. i'm like i'm torn between this and this and th-. so this will be officially part one we're not I don't know when we're gonna do part two or what have you or part three or what have you or you know if the series continues on in that in that regard um because we've done a couple of part twos before um but yeah, this is not definitive this is just the current iteration, so without further ado, um I am definitely putting these in terms of probably um most yeah I, I think actually uh from i'm going to go from least powerful to most powerful for me um is how i'm going to is how i'm going to run these and again they're not uh they're all just ridiculously moving but i i would still say you know this w- in in this particular list i will be going least moving to most moving so, here we go. First up, 1994 is the Shawshank Redemption. Oh, and I'm just gonna stop right here real quick. Motherfucking spoilers all over the goddamn place. Okay? Um, so if you don't want to be spoiled on any of these things, then you're going to need to skip to the next section just letting you know go to our website slscast.com or if you're looking in your stitcher or what have you make sure you're looking at the description so you can at least see the movies and know what you need to skip all right that's it 1994 uh Shawshank Redemption Brooks was here for those of you who know um oh my god i mean it wasn't bad enough that he tried to kill someone <laughs> he tried to kill one of his friends um just in order to stay but that he just simply could not process life beyond the institution after so many years and he and and when you see him up there and he's and and he's just scratching his name up there in the beam and all that kind of stuff. And you literally almost because because he's not the first person to do it. And you literally have to wonder how many of those people. Because because while the sad part, everybody gets sad about Brooks when he hangs himself. You you, for me, I was literally wondering how many of those people died how many of those people hung themselves or killed themselves or just left and disappeared and more to the point how many people cared um it is just it weighs very heavily on the soul um second uh second choice for me from 2008 this is actually from a documentary uh this is probably one of, if not the most powerful documentary I can think of I've ever seen, "Dear Zachary," a letter to a son about his father. I cannot caution you enough. Um, if you've never seen this before, stop now. Please go watch it and then come back. Uh, don't look anything up. Don't look. Don't read about it. Don't Google it. Don't, um, you know. Don't don't do anything. Don't talk to a friend. Do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred dollars. Just go watch it and come back um this is written in it's a documentary written about um about a man who was murdered by uh the mother of his child um and he didn't know that she was pregnant when she killed him and his best friend decided to um make a documentary a video letter if you will to his son zachary and uh to show what an amazing man his dad really was and the whole letter is written or or, you know spoken or what have you and it's done As you would write a letter. So this is what was so amazing about your dad. And I have to tell you just all the cool stuff that he did. And why he was so wonderful. And how he was a doctor. And he was studying. Blah, 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 blah. And let me tell you about your grandparents. And there's a point in the movie where the letter changes tense. And I swear to God, I bawled like a fucking two-year-old. I lost my shit collectively. And, um, I, you know, the, the lady, the, the woman, she was fucking insane. And, you know, as much as, as much as we get shit here in America for stuff, uh, turns out Canada's got some really fucked up, you know, judicial practices as well. And this insane fucking woman was able to take, um, advantage complete advantage of the situation that she was in literally getting away with murder and um was able to get out of jail and take her child back from the grandparents the grandparents who literally picked up their entire lives and moved to to canada and she knew she was going to lose and so she took her life and her baby's life, and when that movie w- go when that letter goes to the past tense, oh my god you just you just want to die um and it's it's very powerful and it's very, very powerful, mainly because it really happened but and so you have to ask, well, matt, how can you top that how how can you top that and i was like and here's here's how here's why I can top." Here's how I can top that. My last choice is the cemetery scene from *Steel Magnolias* (1989) um, with Sally Field after they've just done the burial. And you're like, "Yeah, but that's that's a you know that's that's a, you're, you're seriously you know Sally Field beats the the true life drama of a woman killing herself and her son. Yeah, because that didn't happen to me. And it's terrible and it's sad, but." everybody's lost someone everybody's had someone close to them die and everybody has had that eternal loss that just that settles into your very being where you don't care anymore and you don't want to live you want someone you to to feel like you feel to truly understand because no one understands your loss the way that you do and that's what makes the cemetery scene from steel Magnolias so incredibly powerful and she literally you know when sally field is just like i want to punch someone i want to punch them so hard i want to punch them until they feel like i feel and she's just screaming it and you just you 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 literally weep for this woman because you know what that feels like to have lost somebody and what also makes that scene so amazing is when olympia dukakis grabs shirley MacLaine, because shirley MacLaine plays a mean old biddy in the movie and she goes she says punch her hit her everybody knows it you everybody's wanted to hit her for, you know and you are immediately shocked into laughter and yet you still cry it's like this genuine mix of emotion where you're just so sad and yet so happy at the same time because there's just something that breaks the tension something has to break that tension and the scene is just literally so expertly crafted and written and performed all the way around um and i and it's that element of reality that makes it um that that makes it the most powerful of the three for me so once again, we have Brooks Was Here from the Shawshank Redemption, uh, When the Letter Changes tense from, from Dear Zachary, A Letter to a Son About His Father, and then The Cemetery from Steel Magnolias, 1989. Take it away, Tim. What do you got, sir? Are you, are you getting choked up there? I am. I
0: am. <laughs> oh. I'm getting a little fuck um, yes. Well, folks, um, if you're crying right now uh, because of what Matt was saying, prepare to cry even more. I'm not saying by any means that my, I think mine will top Matt's because when you're dealing with, cinematic sad moments or whatever it's all about what how, how it touches you and how it really gets to you either you have personal attachments to what's going on in some way can and you can some way relate to what's happening or you you just kind of like have been there with the characters for two hours or or so and you just it just feels like you know who they are and you can feel for them you know it just gets you right in the feels But it affects you after you leave the movie. And so I guess my own criteria for choosing three of my favorite saddest moments in movies were the the moments that just made me think about those moments after the movie was already over. Sometimes I would think about these moments on and off for many, many years. Actually, a couple of these moments, one of them in particular, I think about uh, every time I go into a hospital or every time um, I have a friend or family member going through some kind of disease or, or, or mental health issue or just anything like that. Granted, it's not the same exact situation that these characters are going to, but it, but you know, it, it's like this weird attachment to how scary health problems can be. First up on my list, I'm going to start off with 1980s The Elephant Man. Yes, the David Lynch movie, which uh, won a handful of Academy Awards, was nominated for eight It surprises a lot of people that it's David Lynch's second movie, and it was his follow-up to Eraserhead, which came out in 1977. And uh, The Elephant Man is a truly remarkable film, shot entirely in black and white. It came out in October, and I think a lot of people who went to go see the movie were expecting to see some kind of disfigured horror film. But really, it's a story about John Merrick, played wonderfully by... John Hurt in this film who is severely disfigured he has a whole bout of extreme physical deformities and this is a period movie so one of the things people that suffer from horrible deformities can do with themselves or what their parents can do with their kids that have these deformities is put them into the circus and particularly the sideshow act. And that's what happens to John Merrick because of how extreme his facial features were giant like knots in the face not a lot of hair growth and all this stuff so when he is a part of a circus sideshow on the daily he is getting ridiculed beaten nearly abused to death i you can't imagine like with a type of guy like john merrick who is a wonderful human being he is a kind soul you can say that his appearance looks as if he were a monster but and this is what really gets me about this movie and what gets me about the character in particular is that if these people these horrible human beings just took the time to speak to him to talk to him to engage in some kind of conversation they'll realize how wonderful of a human being he is how much better of a human being he is than you know most of the people that you know are, are at the fucking circus you know that 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 look at him that gawk at him every day he's a smart wonderful human being and that is what's so heart-wrenching and and terrifying about this film because you don't want to see anything horrible happen to him and of course he almost gets beaten to death and that's not even the 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 saddest part like that's not even the, the the biggest tearjerker of the film either now what is the tearjerker is that a doctor takes it upon himself to take John Merrick into his care, provide him with medical help, provide him with schooling, and try to introduce him uh, into, I guess what you could call a normal civil society. And he also wants to raise awareness amongst all the other upper-class folk in hopes that they realize that people, like, if they have these deformities, it doesn't make them a monster, that they're real-life human beings. And the tearjerker gets me every fucking time I watch... David Lynch's The Elephant Man. When John Merrick is safe in this hospital, in the care of the doctor, he is away from the abuse, the physical abuse, the emotional abuse, the gawking at, the name-calling. So he's safe in this hospital. And you have this doctor who tells him that everything is going to be all right. And then he gives John Merrick a very modest gift. A shaving kit. And what that does for John Merrick is absolutely beautiful because of how kind of a person he is. There's nothing but gratitude. He is so appreciative of it because he's never owned anything as simple as a razor that a lot of us take for granted. And it's not that, you know, he didn't want to own one. It's just he didn't have the opportunity to own a razor, uh, or even a shaving cream for that matter. And so it's one of those absolutely heartwarming, touching moments because you, the audience member, knows how much that modest gift means to John Merrick. So my first film is 1980s, The Elephant Man. Next up on my list is from 1990. The Penny Marshall film Awakenings, probably my favorite Penny Marshall directed film. Uh, this year stars Robert De Niro as Leonard Lowe and Robin Williams as Dr. Malcolm Sayer. And the film takes place in the late 60s, early 70s, when the doctor, played by Robin Williams, who decides to help out a group of catatonic patients who survived the epidemic of encephalitis lethargica between 1917 and 1928. And in doing this, he he creates this drug that basically wakes them from this catatonic state. Uh, A a lot of it, I guess, he was using illegal drugs and just obscure substances that a lot of doctors look down upon. The one patient that the movie focuses on is the patient Leonard Lowe, played by Robert De Niro, and there is a scene when he becomes catatonic at a very young age. So we're talking in between 1917 and the late 20s. Young boy, flash forward 40-ish years later, and he's a full-grown man. Uh, you know, middle-aged, probably. So most of his life has been in this catatonic, lethargic state. And suddenly, this compound that the doctor produces wakes him up. Now, one would say that alone is sad because it's so beautiful and so amazing. Or there are those who say that the ending is sad because, of course, major spoiler alert, the drug doesn't last that long in fact he loses the doctor loses his funding so he can't do any further research so the patient goes back in the in, in, into the into that catatonic state for the rest of his life yeah i mean you know that that's very sad as well but the saddest part for me is when he wakes up low when he has that awakening one of the first people from his past that he visits is his mother and the idea of seeing your mother and having a conversation with her for the first time, I mean, that is heartbreaking and amazing and so happy. Then you think about it from the mother's point of view and how heartbreaking and how sad and how amazing that is. And that is why that particular scene, the meeting of the mother after the awakening, is, uh, is, is my second on my list and then finally because i'm taking up way too much time is from the 2004 clint eastwood movie million dollar baby another big oscar winner here When I went to go see Million Dollar Baby, I had no idea what to expect, knew nothing about it other than that it was supposed to be a big Oscar contender in 2005, and uh, I was a big Clint Eastwood fan, big Morgan Freeman fan, and a big Hilary Swank fan, and nothing prepared me for when she becomes paralyzed at the end of the movie. I thought that was depressing enough, because you have this... Woman who wanted to do this for not only herself, but also for the coach played by Clint Eastwood, who is this really hardened boxing trainer who doesn't get emotional does he doesn't do attachments he does not do human attachments so throughout the course of the movie he's very anti-getting-close to hillary swank's character until you know when the movie progresses he opens up and he becomes that father figure that she needs because at the end of the movie you find out how awful her family really is and really he's not only just the father figure but really her only family left and then this horrible thing happens. She becomes paralyzed. Hopes and dreams of being a a successful boxer, over. The only person she can rely on is her father figure. And there's a moment at the end of the movie when she's on life support, she's paralyzed, all this stuff, and she basically asks him to kill her because she cannot go on living. Not only because she was paralyzed, but because... She can't go on living knowing how horrible her family is. And also her hopes and dreams are ultimately crushed because of this horrible thing. And so she asks him, Clint Eastwood, to do this for her. And this is her father figure. He accepts being her father figure. He accepts her as being his daughter You know, one of the very few people in his life that he opened up to. And now he has to go and basically kill her. Absolutely heart-wrenching stuff here, folks. Absolutely heart-wrenching. Nothing prepared me for this. And from that day on, I, I just cannot help but to think of that movie. Every time I go to a hospital. Absolutely gut-wrenching. So, again, my three movies featuring some of the saddest movie moments are, again, Million Dollar Baby from 2004, Awakenings from 1990, and finally, The Elephant Man from
2: 1980. Awesome. All right. Well, that does bring us to the end of an emotionally gripping and draining three-squared. Next week's bonus segment is going to be ultimate letdown we haven't done one of those since november of last year so we'll be looking forward to that and without further ado i believe it is now time for the, Movies. the Movies. movies are the fate of the furious smurfs the lost village and the discovery where would you like to start sir how about smurfs
0: the lost village
2: (laughs) Uh,
0: clearly the best animated academy award winner you know front runner okay for next year's oscars
2: (laughs) Let's talk about Smurfs The Lost Village. 2017 American 3D Computer Animated Adventure Comedy Films, directed uh, I'm sorry, produced by Sony Pictures Animation. Uh, and actually was animated by Sony Pictures Imageworks. Um, it was directed by Kelly Ashbury and actually stars everybody from Demi Lovato to Drain Wilson all the way to Megan Trainer and freaking Julia Roberts, even Mandy Petikin shows up in there. Um and basically what this is is this uh it really takes its inspiration from the actual 80s cartoon series from back when I was a kid and um, totally builds upon it and lets them have the adventure uh, from the perspective of the Smurfs you know and love in terms of a way uh, that is very, very modernized and strong for, you know, girl power and what have you. Um, you know what? This hits all the right nostalgic buttons. Um, it's a lot of fun to watch, but it's only fun to watch because of the nostalgia. Um, it's really just simple. Um, it's kind of blasé, but I still had a great time simply because of, like I said, the nostalgia factor. I took my youngest daughter. Uh, we actually went to go see it today. And she loved it because, I mean, it's naturally geared towards kids. Great colors and visuals and stuff. The animation is awesome. But the movie is really um just a little bit more than likable uh really and truly and if you're not nostalgic about it you probably won't really like it even all that much so given my nostalgia bump it's 3.25 out of five what do you got there tim
0: i was not a big Spurs fan back in the day so this movie was not geared for me whatsoever i was actually kind of surprised that this movie had a budget of like 60 million dollars Sausage Party had a budget of $19 million, and I th- I think I was just expecting more from this movie, given its budget and its star power, and, you know, this is Sony's third movie in, in the Smurfs franchise, and I was expecting more, and I just really didn't think it was funny, I thought it was too cutesy, too kid-friendly, and just nothing, at least for me, was smart about it, especially with The Lost Island, spoiler alert, well, I, I think the trailer gives it away now, uh, it's all girl smurfs and that's just kind of it it's it's not geared for me i'm sure young kids uh like uh, matt's daughter will get a kick out of it no doubt but as for me personally this is a 1.5 out of five it's good it's you know it's good natured but not for me 1.5 out of five
2: fair enough fair enough where do you want to go from there sir how about the discovery all right, Discovery, 2017 British-American romantic science fiction films directed by Charlie McDowell and stars Rooney Morrow, Jason Segel, Robert Redford, Jesse Plemons, Riley Keough, and Ron Canada. Um, basically, what we have here is there has been a discovery of the afterlife, and it has changed the world in terms of suicides because now that people know uh, that they can, quote, move on, or, I'm sorry, that they can get there, I think is the terminology. Um, it, it's created quite the moral conundrum. Um, enter, uh, <clears throat> the son of the man who actually invented it. So, um, Robert Redford is the guy, is, plays Thomas Harbor, and he's the guy who invent, or not invented, but discovered the afterlife stuff. Um, his son Will is played by Jason Siegel and so enter jason who's heard that now that they're actually going to show what happens basically his his dad has come across a new discovery um in terms of the discovery and he's got to go see what it's about um all right so the movie in and of itself we we talked we talked a lot about um last week with with slow burns um or week before about slow burns and a slow burn like like we said is a movie that's not slow but just the story is just engrossing enough that you are watching just for the story it's not there's a whole lot happening it's beyond the people acting or just the story itself progressing um and then you know the big payoff or you know as tim argued sometimes there's not some big huge payoff it's just a great even keel movie that goes the whole way and takes you the distance um at the same pace this movie is just slow there's no dramatic payoff um it it just feels contrived it's nothing that you haven't seen before i will say it's well acted other than um you know robert redford kind of coming off like a creepy l ron hubbard wannabe at times which i felt was again contrived it's just slow and that's the problem it's just slow um I can't. It's better than okay. Can't quite say I really liked it. Two point seven five out of five. What do you got there, Tim? <laughs> this this was not a, a a good movie week for
0: Tim because the reviews are gonna are just gonna kind of keep going down from Smurfs. So the discovery is a one point five out of five movie. Uh, again, so the discovery for me, feels like a high schooler's attempt at making one of those pretentious and methodical human sci-fi flicks. It's directed by Charlie McDowell, written by Justin Later, and also written by Charlie McDowell. Charlie McDowell directed the very interesting film, The One I Love, which we reviewed a couple years ago, which is about a husband and wife struggling with their marriage who are sent on a retreat to a secluded getaway in which they run into their doppelgangers, It's a very interesting premise. And like the one I love, the Discovery has an interesting premise, but it's executed poorly. Our two leads mumble and quiet speak, and like the story itself, it never gets off the ground. The audience is led to believe something amazing will come out of this flick. Instead, what you get is a twist or a revelation that the audience saw coming a mile away. The movie is more of a drama with sci-fi elements which could have absolutely worked if the movie landed emotionally. I had mentioned that the movie felt like a high schooler's rendition of one of those pretentious, methodical films, and I remember when Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind came out, and that was when I was in high school. I thought it was terrific. And at that time, I had yet to see another modern American film depicting relationships with such depth and real-life human emotion. It was high-concept drama without the pretentiousness. And during my junior and senior years of high school, in my film and media classes, I attempted to make these high-concept relationship dramatic short movies in the same vein as Eternal Sunshine. And all I can say is that they did not hold up. My short films lacked maturity, and the understanding of such emotional material, and because the script relied upon the drama within a relationship, I lacked the experience, therefore creating a pretentious high schooler's attempt at a story with real emotional depth. And the discovery lacked the maturity and the understanding to rise above its own concept.
2: 1.5 out of 5 for me awesome awesome all right well then that leaves us with the fate of the furious uh, or fast and furious eight whatever you want to call it um it's 2017 american action film directed by f gary gray written by chris morgan and it is the eighth and aside from the fact that you know the fate of the furious kind of seems like it would be um, synonymous with the final installment i hear it's might not be the final installment. But at any rate, this is the eighth installment in the in the Fast and Furious franchise. Um, stars the, the usual crew of suspects. Although we have now replaced... Um, um, Oh, good lord. Paul Walker. We've replaced Paul Walker with Scott Eastwood. So take that as you will. Um, basically, the team is doing oh, we, their Oh, thing, it wasn't the baby? We didn't replace him with the baby?
0: Or they didn't replace him with the baby?
2: No, no. But, uh, maybe that's what nine's going to be about. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe fast. Maybe Fast and Furious Nine is going to be Boss Baby and Fast and Furious like a crossover, <laughs> you know, between the two. I don't know. I just want to see a anyway. Jason
0: Statham in a in a baby spinoff movie.
2: Was that not just the funniest fucking oh, thing you've it, ever? Seen? I mean, it it worked. It it made the movie for me. I'm sorry. I just. It was so unbelievably terribly awesome. It was terribly awesome. Um anyway. All right, so okay, you guys you've seen the th- you've seen the trailers. Basically Dom goes rogue and they're like how the hell could you betray us? Bah. Charlize Theron is clearly pulling the strings. Pull the strings. Um all right. So let me sum up this movie right quick for you. This is quite possibly the stupidest most banal trivial cheesy bullshitty horrid dialogue inducing vomit having piece of shit action movie with special effects that you will see likely this decade okay and and the decade's almost over i'm feeling pretty confident all right and you know what i loved it anyway I just loved it anyway. I, but you have been with these people for eight fucking movies now. Um, and the vast majority of them for at least five of the eight movies. And you just can't fucking help but love them. They're your really stupid goofball friends who you know are complete idiots. And despite the fact that they're complete idiots, you love them anyway. And sometimes you just have to feel good about yourself and let them do their thing. That's what Fate of the Furious is. Um, and the thing is, and the only reason that you, that I ended up loving it anyway is because they don't hide from it. They literally turned Dwayne Johnson into fucking Conan the Barbarian. They did. They turned him into, Con- he throws people through walls now. Didn't know that. He's also rubber bulletproof. Yes. Didn't know that either. Um, it's things like that. It's the opening of the movie where they sit there and have, um, Dom and, Oh, what's his, uh, uh, Dom and Letty and, uh, fucking Vin Diesel's pretending that he can speak fucking, you know, Cuban Spanish. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, you have my respect. That's all I wanted. I mean, it's like stupid shit. Oh God, it's so bad. It's just so bad. And I loved it anyway. Um, this is, it's everything I said. And I loved it anyway. Four stars. And provided they don't ever make another one, I'll be happy never watching another one ever again. If they do make another one, I highly anticipate one star. Because there's just no way. It's just walk away. Walk away now. Walk away. Bring us home, Tim.
0: Well, after that review, are you sure you want me to bring you home? Or or
2: bring you home? or? <laughs> Bring it home. I mean, I, I, there's no way that you can't, um, like, uh, you can't. That's not what I mean to say. Um, I, I, I fully and wholeheartedly am going to agree with how terrible this movie is set up and everything that you're going to say. And I'm sure it's got to be at least a zero star, if not a zero fucking star for you. Maybe, who knows? Maybe it'll surprise me and it'll be like a half star or something. Um, <laughs> but. I don't know. I just, having stuck with these damn movies for this long, it was just fun. I can't help it. Fucking Roman stole the goddamn movie for me. Every fucking line out of his mouth is just fucking hilarious. And watching uh, Scott Eastwood play um, new Brian.
0: Wait, is it Ryan or Brian? Um,
2: and yet, Brian. He plays new Brian. Because if you remember Brian at, in the very first Fast and the Furious movie, he is uh, yeah he's like he has the stuck up right? baby two
0: shoes cop guy. He,
2: yeah, he's the stuck up too good. Too good. Yeah, and and then who eventually crosses over and realizes how cool these people really are, and that's why he needs to join them. That's what that's what Scott Eastwood does. That's Scott Eastwood's character. Anyway, so and, and look, I get it. It's dumb. It's completely idiotic. It just it was so much fucking fun, regardless. That's why I give it the four stars. There's there is no truly redeemable. You can't honestly defend this movie. You either love it because you love the franchise at this point, or there's something wrong with you. You don't just objectively like this movie. Yeah, um, you can you can subjectively like the movie. You cannot objectively like this movie. So,
0: no offense,
2: <laughs> Matt or
0: Johnny White Trash. That there was a comma there. I wasn't calling you Johnny White trash. Matt and Johnny. Since I know Johnny, you're you know, I know I know he's a very big fan of the Fast and the Furious movies, but I honestly cannot even, I I, I can't see even the most diehard fans of the Fast and Furious franchise really accepting Fate of the Furious as a passable sequel. I, I to me, it's an insult to popcorn flicks. It adds nothing new to neither the franchise, or even the action genre. I actually considered walking out of the theater 10 minutes into the movie. I didn't because it began so poorly. It had to get better, but it didn't. But there were, however, three things that impressed me. Genuinely impressed me. One, the Jason Statham fight in the airplane with the baby was fun, even though it brought to mind the outrageously fun action flick, Shoot 'em Up. A movie that it seems like the Fast and the Furious franchise is it feels like it's trying to become like Shoot 'em up. And number two was how bad the CGI was. I mean, you'd expect a movie guaranteed to make a billion dollars, that's billion with a B, because the last movie made at least a billion. So you'd think they, you know, they, they should have some cars that actually look like fluid-moving real cars. And three, I was impressed with how Fate and the Furious was constantly one-note. It begins cheesy and nonsensical, continues to be nonsensical and cheese, and ends up with being nonsensical and extra cheesy. Now, I can spend literally an hour picking this movie apart, but because the whole film is one-note crap... I'll just explain the first ten minutes of the movie. The film opens in Cuba at an auto show. Apparently this makes sense because by now the filmmakers accept that the audiences won't ask questions and take everything as it comes regardless if it makes sense or not because hundreds of sexy people without reservations for showing their ass cheeks fill the space. And here in Cuba at this auto show, Toretto and Letty are apparently on their honeymoon There, Toretto's random Cuban cousin, who happens to be within close proximity of Toretto and the auto show, is in trouble with a Cuban local street racer. Because souped-up classic cars are involved, Toretto challenges the local to clear his random Cuban cousin's name of debt. The catch is, Toretto will race his random Cuban cousin's shitty jalopy of a piece of shit when the Cuban local has a far better souped-up, cliched, Cuban classic car. But that's okay, because all that Toretto needs to do is to strip the jalopy, where he says, quote, take everything off that doesn't make the car run, end quote. And he adds, nitro. And the race begins, and Toretto wins. You see the car catching on fire from the inside. The engine turning red and orange. It's burning up. And yet Toretto still ends up winning. And surprisingly, when he doesn't have brakes and going hundreds of miles per hour, doesn't actually kill anybody. Nobody dies in this movie if they're a pedestrian. They should, but nobody does. The movie is so ridiculous. Fanciful. It takes the audience as popcorn-scarfing idiots. All of the action blends together and feels the same. There is no tension or build or even relief. It's just in your face bullshit. Point five out of five, strictly because of the Jason Statham and baby scene and a couple little things peppered lightly peppered in the movie earned it a point five.
2: Look at that! I I was pleasantly surprised with the point five. <laughs> oh fair enough like i like i said i think it's fair to say you cannot objectively like this movie but you can subjectively <laughs> like this movie. all right so that's gonna do it next week's movies are gonna uh, for the movies this week next week's movies are gonna be free fire and the lost city of z both of which are in theaters so i believe we are now down to the spiel are we not sir music you've been listening to as always has been brought to us by our music partners for Rise of Solace you can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com both slash Cries of Solace as for us we are of course the SLS cast and you can find us at slscast.com. you can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. you can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS cast you can follow me this is Matt on Twitter at nitwit12345 you can also climb aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire don't forget you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio, as well as track us down on the old SoundCloud. So until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Jesse Plemons, I get to say this. The reason you want to
0: act is to continue to explore every different part of the human psyche. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next
2: week. Mark, I'll so I said I was sure me in the I say I off the sonic Mark, i so I enough say this means silver skip.